Hey, what's up? This is JM, host of the Celebrity Grill podcast on iTunes, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Network. All barbecue and grilling, all the time. Let's go! Do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. I happen to be the program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in on the show this evening, but you don't know how to do it, here's the contact info. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQ Central Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQ Central And here's what's happening during the next 120 minutes in case you didn't get the newsletter. In about 13 minutes from now, he is a very successful competition pitmaster. He is a creator of his own line of rubs and sauces. He also happens to work for the first Tuesday of the month regular guest. And since he is not able to make it in this evening, we are backfilling with pleasure. None other than the pitmaster of Swine Life Barbecue and the creator of the same-named YouTube channel, Mark Williams, joins the show. And we're going to talk to Mark about the recap of Memphis in May. Now, as I had mentioned, Mark, a very successful competition cook in his own right, but did not compete under the Swine Life Barbecue flag at Memphis in May a couple weeks ago. Instead, he was a helper in the Killer Hog slash How to Barbecue Right team, which had a very successful weekend. So we'll get Mark's feedback on the team's success, what the wins were, where they fell short on the main portion of the competition, at least in his estimation. Although just putting in the Herculean effort of competing at Memphis and May, and I've never been, but I've heard through Mark and Malcolm and everybody else that I've ever interviewed over the 16, 18 years that I've been doing this the real difference that Memphis and May brings to the competition table versus every other sanctioning body and those typical events bring to the competition table. And Memphis and May is at least one or seven notches above the traditional competition strata. So we'll talk to Mark about that. And we will also talk to Mark about a handful of other topics, not the least of which is the balance 
of running your own company and own brand, Swine Life Barbecue team, and then also working for Malcolm Reed in the Heart of Barbecue right umbrella, the store and uh, all of his brands and the YouTube stuff and the podcast. Mark is part of or is an employee at How to Barbecue Right, so we'll talk to him about balancing two different brands, one that is his, one that is his good buddies, and how you are able to delineate the two and not feel like you're not giving enough to yours and that you're not not giving enough to the guy that's employing you at the same time who happens to be your friend. So interesting stuff there. We'll also close it out with some Holstein cow talk. I don't know if it was the last time Mark was on, but maybe it was the time before that. He had offhandedly mentioned that he was a new eater slash fan of the Holstein, the milk cows. And I thought this was going to be a trend. It was going to show up. I thought it was going to be hot and heavy and didn't really materialize here through the first half of the year. So we'll follow up with him on that and find out all about milk cows and eating them versus just drinking what they're producing. So that'll be Mark Williams, Swine Life Barbecue, 14 past 35 past the hour. We'll be joined by a James Beard nominee, a James Beard Award winner, author of three different books to all high acclaim, not the least of which was the most recent, Black Smoke, friend of show, Adrian Miller, will be on. So we'll obviously talk to him about the book, Black Smoke, and the praise that it is getting, not only from the pitmasters and the fans of Live Fire, but also from those that give awards, not the least of which is the James Beard Foundation because Black Smoke is a nominee for book. So looking forward to catching up with Adrian on that. Adrian also part of the Names Committee for the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So while he wasn't there for the original taking the mass nominees and paring them down into the nine, we could get a unique point of view from Adrian on what did you think of the nine what do you think of the four going in? Legacy, obviously, on top of that. And then uh, there was a whole portion in the, in the uh, not the legacy side, but there was an impact award that was given out this year for the first time to the unsung black barbecue cooks. And I have some questions that I want to ask him about that specifically. So Adrian Miller, 35 past. That closes the first hour. We go to the second hour. And look who's back in the second hour, first Tuesday of the month. Sam, the cooking guy out of the country last month, back in country this month. So you know there is no shortage of stuff to catch up with Sam on, not the least of which playing a new round of What Is Sam Like Best? So you can take part in that, try and win a free prize. Whole new game loaded up. Follow me socially on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at BBQ Central Show. For live video feeds of this show, you can go to Facebook and Twitch right now, slash BBQ Central Show. Also over on YouTube, slash R.D. Rempe, and there is a live audio feed on Clubhouse as well, which is where you will also play What Does Sam Like Best if you would like to do that. So that's how you get the show in all forms and fashions. And let's start here tonight. You know, many of you sending in notes of shock and amazement as it relates to the next grill unit that has an installed air fryer on it, gas grill one side and directly next to it, an air fryer. Many of you taking shots at it much smaller percentage of you willing to give it some room to see if it really takes off or not. Some said they might even put an order in advance so they can grab one when it shows up their respective Home Depot stores. 
If you haven't gotten the podcast yet and heard all about it, certainly worth a listen. Both guests in the first hour actually were very good. Joe Davidson and Ramsey Hawfield, Oklahoma Joe and Next Grill, respectively. So I will be interested to hear what your experience is with the air fryer slash grill. And remember, it's also a smart grill, too. Thermostatically controlled to boot. I'm interested to see who buys it and how you like it. Because as Ramsey mentioned on the show, and I don't know how many of you picked up on it, Next Grill is really making units price point specific. While they are trying to add features and add value on the cooker, they are trying to also perhaps mostly reach a price point in the market where they feel that they're competitive. And I'll be interested to see how this Next Grill unit actually measures up. Uh, much like Charbroil, Next Grill, a lot of great concepts, but when the rubber meets the road, how does it actually meet the expectation of the consumer that buys it? And time will tell on that. Listener feedback from the show last week and a week before that. Brian in Texas writing in, Greg, no offense, but I think we're going to get offended here, Brian. I'm just making a guess, but typically sentences that start off with no offense, but means everything that you're going to say after that is going to offend me, but we'll give it a try anyway. Greg, no offense, but you and the embedded correspondents all suck at singing. Maybe stop at season three and call it a non-career. Love the show. Regards, Brian. Brian, we value your input. We will talk about it after the third season of American Idol's Barbecue Central Show Edition comes to a conclusion, but not before that. Jim in Alabama writing in, Greg, Dr. Barbecue was really on his game last week. The whole conversation was great, and I really appreciate his openness when answering your questions. He just doesn't hold back, and I love that about him. Regards, Jim. Jim, I found Ray to be absolutely refreshing last week as well. I think a little time in between segments is also doing some positive things. So always appreciate Ray uh, for the life of the show. He was a regular contributor for many, many years. And started to space him out a little bit. So uh, good to have Ray back on and catch up with him. And I agree. He really did a great job last segment last week. Jason in Virginia writing, Hey, Greg, do you have any follow-up on the guy who sued Popeyes over the chicken sandwich a year and a half ago or so? And what happened to the lawsuit? And also, what happened to the movie that was being filmed at Steve Ray's garage? These are the questions that are keeping me up at night. Loyal Central I, Jason. Jason, appreciate you for writing it. I have no follow-up on the lawsuit over the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I have no follow-up over the movie that was supposed to be at Steve Ray's house, and I don't even know who Steve Ray is. Uh Who's that? All right, Mark Williams is in the green room. We're going to get to him here in just one second before we do that. Since the company's humble beginnings in 1987, Oklahoma Joe's has helped those who appreciate the process and craft of smoking. What began with Joe Davidson, a member of the Barbecue Hall of Fame, and a dozen hand-built smokers at the Oklahoma State Fair over 30 years ago has since forged an Oklahoma Joe's brand that builds some of the most sought-after and trusted cookers on the market. Oklahoma Joe's has a proud history of creating uncompromising smokers and grills with a carefully crafted design. The newest generation of the popular Rider Series pellet grills carries on that tradition. The new features in the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe Pellet Grills include these, a pit control 2.0 system that delivers the category's first dual sensor temperature control, 
fire-focused dual-sensored feedback optimizes temperature control based on the selected cooking style, low and slow smoking, or high heat grilling. A power feed system that boasts a high torque motor and auger that powers through pellets for incredible power and performance. And the new Ryder Deluxe series builds on several popular features, including the smoke and sear modes, which feature an impressive temperature range that runs from 200 degrees to a searing hot 650 degrees and a 20 pound quick drawer hopper that allows unused pellets to be drained in seconds for simple storage, removal, and the swapping of pellets. I can vouch for that because the second cooker showed up, assembled, and it's working. I haven't cooked fully on it yet, but the burn-in is done. We got through all the tech issues there on that first one. I'm actually looking to be a little handy with that first one, too. See if I can't get that up and running. Different story for a different day. But the quick draw pellet hopper is very unique. You pull that drawer, and it is literally dropped 20 pounds of pellets in mere seconds. So if you want to learn more about it, go to OklahomaJoes.com. That's OklahomaJoes.com. Find a retail... Uh, a retailer near you and see it in person and see what you should be considering as you add grills to the arsenal this year. All right, we are back with Mark Williams from Swine Life Barbecue right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans, and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them with questions. 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My first guest tonight, filling in for our usual opening segment guest, Malcolm Reed. He's the pitmaster of the Swine Life Barbecue team, creator of the Swine Life Barbecue YouTube channel. We race to the Oklahoma Joe's Pellet Grills Hotline and welcome back friend of show, Mark Williams. Hey, Mark. How's it going, Greg? I am fabulous. Appreciate you making time here for the show. I don't like to say filling in for Malcolm, but in supplement of Malcolm's absence, we are lucky to have somebody of your caliber step in and do these segments from time to time. Uh, big weekend a couple weeks ago, obviously, especially in your neck of the woods, right? I mean, you're in Mississippi, but you're only an hour and change away from uh, Memphis. And, of course, Memphis and May came off to a number of uh, really cool things happening, not the least of which is a couple of technical KCBS guys, uh, A, winning whole hog category, which was you know, a huge kick in the teeth as far as I was concerned, and then winning the overall grand championship or the world grand championship. So as a guy who has seen a lot of success on the KCBS circuit as yourself, what do you think of that win? And does that change a dynamic for ongoing Memphis and Mays? Or do you think that 
you just run into a buzzsaw every so often. And uh, Tim and Brad were able to rattle off three, you know, really good years and uh, culminate in a grand championship here the last time around. Well, I'm going to be honest. To see a whole hog on a drum, that's got to be impressive. Like that in itself to me is a feat because, I mean, that's just, that's unheard of, you know? And, you know, Memphis and May, it's, it's it's a lot of good cooks. It does take you got to know your recipe. You got to do an excellent job, but you still got to have luck. But I'm gonna be honest, doing three years in a row like that that well at Memphis, that's a heck of a feat, man. All respect to them. It's it's impressive, no doubt. Fifth place ribs first year and win shoulder the second year, and obviously win hog and then win the whole damn thing uh, a couple weeks ago. I was surprised that they didn't try to double up for a, a repeat on the shoulder, but. Tim said that within their tight group that people were already giving him and Brad a little crap going, okay, well, you did the shoulder. What are you going to do next? And uh, it appears Tim and Brad are go big, go home. They build this huge drum. And as you said, uh, a sight to behold, no doubt. But traditionally, and through the history of me doing the show and covering Memphis and May every year that I have done the show, nobody has ever talked about doing a hog like that. Is it unfair to say seeing something like that might have added a little bit more glitz and glam to the whole thing versus just seeing it at a traditional hog cooker like you have for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? I'm a, I mean, a true judge should be able to, you know, still know that's impressive, but that shouldn't influence their decision mm-hmm. on how well that hog was cooked, you know, the texture, the taste. But, I mean, a drum flat out cooks pork. And as much drippings as you get on a hog over those coals, it had to taste good. You know, I mean, I love the pork butt on drum. It's, they're hard to beat. And I can only imagine the flavor that hog had had to be spot on. And it's, I would say, I'm, if I was a judge and walked in on finals and seen a hog in a drum, that's going to that's gonna perk my interest. Like, I'm going to be excited about trying this hog, no doubt. So, But at the end of the day, you still have to go cook a good hog. You still have to nail your marks. I mean, there's still, you know, there's just because you cooked on a drum does not take the credit away from the guys. They're a heck of a cook and they done it, you know, and they done it with a bang. I mean, it was very impressive. Mark Williams joining me from Swine Life mm-hmm. Barbecue. Obviously, the team Killer Hogs, How to Barbecue Right, the, the whole brand there has a, a pretty good weekend itself. Uh, from your aspect, what are you doing as part of the team? What are your responsibilities that weekend? So that weekend, my responsibilities start about January one. <laughs> so we're already practicing ribs, and we're we're getting stuff lined out, and we're we're getting excited. You know, usually right now is when the excitement kind of starts building for next year. The month after, I could care less about Memphis May. I'm done with it from May whenever it's over to now. But a lot of my stuff I do for Killer Hogs is you know I do a lot of practicing. I help getting everything together. You know, me and Michael Michelle, we sit down in the office every week and we go over our plan, you know, what ancillaries we're going to cook, what we're going to feed, you know, the team when they get there, basically lay out the site. You know, I had a pretty good influence this year as far as, you know, what all got done. I'm usually the guy that goes to cook's meet now, me and my brother Jamie do. Uh, load in and out trailers, uh, empty the poop tank on a comp trailer, you know, pretty much anything from cooking ribs to being a plumber. Um, so it's it's a pretty big, pretty big operation, but. I'm blessed to be able to do that. You know, years ago, I never would have thought I had an opportunity to actually cook at Memphis and May. And looking back on it, I mean, I'm blessed. I'm lucky to be able to do it. I know there's a ton of people that, you know, that's something they look forward to. And it's, I'm just, I'm tickled to death to be a part of it. And 
I was able to cook poultry, poultry this year. I'd done beef. Um, of course, we had some other people on the team, Brian, son of a butcher, and Russell Wright and his family, they all come up and helped us. So it was a it was a team effort all along. And, of course, we had Jay Craig with Outlaw Smokers, and he come in and he helped me with the poultry and, you know, cooked on that massive BFO, cooked ribs, and, and we had a big time. I can't I can't complain one bit. The team actually does really well in a number of the ancillary categories. There's a second place turkey. There's a first a first place poultry. Uh, we'll call it first place, Mark. I think you said there might have been a, a tie for perfect scores, but we'll call it first place. Uh, poultry first, was first. <laughs> oh, so what was the tie? Was that was that the turkey? Was the tie? I think the tie was for actually. I want to say all the ancillaries, like the top six or seven, were all perfect scores. Oh, really? So pretty much, if you were in the top five in any of the ancillaries, it was a coin flip where you where you landed. Um, so poultry got first, and then I think wings were second, turkey was second. Uh, there was a fifth or sixth, maybe that was seafood, I think. Mm. And then, of course, we had some sauces in like 13th and 11th or whatever they were, but we had a good cook and we had a good time. You had mentioned that you were the poultry cook. So uh, what are you – is that something where – you're everybody, every team is cooking the same thing, or are you just coming up with a poultry dish? And if the latter, what did you come up with? And um, that's a, a huge accomplishment of first place uh, turkey, or I'm sorry, so, first place poultry. Poultry is pretty much anything. I guess it can be anything from duck to turkey to chicken. It could be whatever. Um, and it's mild to wild. Like I know a lot of people do, you know, bacon wrapped thighs, the old like jalapeno popper chicken thighs wrapped bacon. I mean, there's a ton of recipes. If it includes chicken or any type of poultry, it can be turned in. And I just went back to a chicken recipe that actually got us a first at the Jack in 15. And I turned in a Jack box. You know, I had six thighs and six flats and done the white and dark meat, old school chicken, just simple, good eating chicken. And it worked. I never would have thought it would have worked, but it did. <laughs> Maybe being simple stands out from all the other outrageous and luxurious turnings. I think so, and I think that's one thing I've always said about Memphis and May is it's back to old school barbecue. It's back to your roots. Um, I think that's one reason that you know the drums do so well up there is you know you got that fat dripping on them coals, and that's a flavor that you know Memphis is kind of known for. You know, it's one of them things that I guess everybody's known for. You know, cooking over pit over live fire, and I think that stands out. You know, you get a lot more flavor, and you can get away with a lot more just more of a rib or more of a barbecue taste that you would like to eat at home. It's not fruity. It's not out in left field and all these crazy flavors. It's it's just old school, good eating barbecue. What happens over the weekend? Uh, I assume you guys, since you were talking about getting all these rib timelines and recipes down, that uh, the main meat for the actual competition was ribs this year. So how did it all break down for you guys? And where do you feel? How did, how did you feel about the cook? And did you feel like there were any deficiencies or places where you guys fell short? So last year we had an excellent cook when uh, we ended up six in ribs last year. Right. So we, we really sat down and looked over those scores and we had two judges in our blind box give us like a 9.9 .9 in taste. Um, and we kind of ran those same recipes. And I've run that recipe in KCBS every time we cook. It's a simple recipe and it's a good rib. And I ran the exact same recipe at a local MBN contest in April. And we got the same two, I'm not same two judges, but we had two judges again, the blind box give us a 9.9. So we kind of sat down and got to talking and maybe we're just a little too strong on flavor. You know, maybe we, 
we're offending two judges somewhere, you know. So we really backed off on our finish rub and kind of mellowed that rib out and thought we'd done the right call. We thought we had – I love the rib. It was, a, it was a smooth rib. Wasn't offensive at all to me. And Cook once moved. We got up early. Of course, they moved ribs to the very front of the turn-ins. Uh, I think it was 1045 to 11. So we had to get ribs on pretty early in the morning, Saturday morning. Uh, Cook went great. Took them off. You know, they all temped well. And it was pretty hot that day. So we were trying to be careful holding these ribs for our, you know, wanting them to rest a little bit, not to let them carry over. So we were venting the coolers and we were taking our time babysitting these ribs. <laughs> Glazed up, got, you know, finished them off. They were beautiful. Got them in the box. One of the prettiest turn in boxes that I've ever been a part of, I've ever seen. Everything went great. And, you know, at that point, you turn the blind box in, your three final judges, or not your final judges, three on site judges come by. Everything went off like a hitch. It was a it was a very smooth cook, very smooth Saturday. And, you know, we were all you try not to be overly optimistic because there's another hundred and fifty plus rib teams that are they're good teams. You know, they're they're there and they're all optimistic just like you are. So I try not to stay out front after you know, after all the turn ins are and the ancillary or the blind box and everything's in. I don't stay out front of the booth because I don't want to be looking for that golf cart to slow down, you know. And then of course you start hearing teams holler. And you know that golf cart's close. But golf cart didn't stop at our booth this year. But I was, I mean, of course you're disappointed. Anybody says, well, I'm not disappointed we had a good cook. They're lying. I mean, you you got a lot of heart and soul poured into that cook, or any contest for that matter. And ended up finishing out, I think we were 42nd in ribs, mm-hmm. which was, that was a pretty good, that was a kick to the boys there. That, uh, that knocked the wind out of me. And we kind of looked over the scores, and it was the same thing. 9.9, you know, we missed a taste score just by a 10th of a point in the blind box. And I think one judge gave us like a 9.9 and overall, and that, that wiped, that killed us. You know, that's, if you get a nine period in the blind box, you're done. <laughs> um, but I mean, you never know. It's, it's so many variables that go into that. We could have lined up against another awesome rib team. We got two of their tens. They got our other two tens and we just knocked each other out. Um, so it's, it's still a lot of luck involved in that contest, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't disappointed. We had all three on-site judges come back. Um, all of them got, we got all their tens and, you know, all three on-site judges. I went out there and talked to them and, you know, really wanted to get some details from them. You know, I want some critiquing on the rib. What'd you think? And all three said it was the best rib they had that day. And, you know, we couldn't have done any better on that. And I was, I was proud of that. And we all were. And that's one thing that, I struggle with is because I am cooking with killer hogs. I'm not representing swine life. I'm representing killer hogs. And so I take a lot more pride in that. You know, it's not, it's not just my feelings out there playing. I'm cooking for a whole nother team. And it's, I I wear it on my shoulders and everybody says, you know, Saturday morning, right before we start glazing ribs, I'm a different person. I don't smile. I don't talk to anybody. I'm just in the zone and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. You know, Brian, my brother, Jamie, and then Jay outlaw, like we all, We've cooked this recipe 20 times this year, and we know exactly what each person's their job is, and we don't question it. And then when it comes time to put everything in the box, I do get some insight. You know, it's me and Michael's brother, Waylon. I had Jay with Outlaw with us. He was in the trailer, and that's how we broke it down and put it in the blind box. We all tasted every slab, and I think we put the best foot forward, and we just didn't have the luck. We used all the luck up on Friday with all those good ancillary calls. <laughs> so do, will you go through all of the feedback that you get now and do a revamp on the ribs for next year? Will you just throw it away and decide to go to shoulder instead? Oh, no. Um, I mean, if we went to anything again next year, if I had to bet, we'd probably go to hog 
just because we've done shoulder, we've done ribs, and I've been I've, I've cooked on a hog cooker a lot this year, and I actually kind of got one on the way coming down here again for us to cook on. And you know, I enjoy cooking a hog, but you know, I'd rather just win ribs and then go win hog and then win shoulder again. You know, just just win all three. You know, <laughs> no. but. I don't know. I don't know what next year holds. I think next year's gonna look way different, especially being on the river with the new park and everything. So I think next year's Memphis and May is gonna be a different Memphis and May for every team down there. Mark, before I let you go, uh, I think a time or two that you were on ago, you had talked about Holstein or milk cows and how great they were for eating, and it was a revelation. I got a lot of feedback from fans going, "These are cows for milk, not for eating," but. You had made it sound so great that I think there was a keenness from the live fire community waiting to see if this something was going to pick up steam. So uh, as we sit here now halfway through 2022, uh, where I thought it might have already really kicked up and taken over the whole meat industry of people deciding they're going to be pushing the Wagyu off to the side and bringing in the milk cows to eat. Where are we sitting at with the whole milk cow situation? (laughs) So the milk cows are very, very small farm in Mentone, Indiana. Um, there's not a large production there. It's nothing that you're not going to see these take over the comp circuit. It's kind of a, a hidden gem right there in Indiana. It's If I had to compare it, it's all the texture and all the great rich flavor of a Wagyu, but with not being so rich, you can't sit down and enjoy it. Um, you can sit down and eat a ribeye and not be bloated and feel like you're going to die afterwards. <laughs> And they are small. They're small loins. They're probably 10 to 12-ounce ribeyes. They're not big at all. And I really don't know the whole backstory. I actually tried to – it's it's Jay Craig's, like, neighbor right down the road, and I tried to call him before I got on to kind of get some more details, and he actually just tried to call me back. But I'm he just kind of text me if he wants me to talk about it. But it's – um man, it's – man, they're grain-fed out on sweet feed, and, I mean, it's – they're marbled up. They're beautiful. It's as marbled as any Wagyu I've seen. Now, it's not a A5 Japanese, but it's it's as good as any I've ever seen. And it's the fat's a little yellower. And you can enjoy this. Like, if I'm a cook, if I want to impress somebody at home, I'm grabbing those out of the freezer. And because it's not so overly rich, it's just going to blow the guy out. Like, they can actually taste like this is excellent beef, but it's not so rich, it's going to hurt you. So, when you look at it visually, would you say it's got the same fat content or fat appearance as a prime grade? Oh no, it blows prime out of the water. Really? It's uh yes. It's closer to like a Australian A eight, A nine ribeye. Wow. And it's I want to get some of their briskets. I want to try some other cuts from them for sure. And the cuts are just smaller in size or is that just that particular one you were talking about? No, they're all small. Hmm. Um I want to say the fillets might be four to six ounce. Like they're not they're not big at all. But it's it's this perfect, you know. You can eat all the sides. You can eat all the mushrooms and mashed potatoes on the side, right. and still enjoy your meal. You know, it's just right. Before I let you go, and I appreciate the time, Mark. You had made on your YouTube channel a couple of days ago the video posted on no flip hamburgers. So, are you able to give us a little bit of a tease on that to make sure that those who haven't taken in that video make sure they get over there in the next couple of days and check it out? So. The No Flip Burger has been around for a while. I think it started on pellet grills several years back. There's several people that were doing them. I think one of them they done was like they referred to as the Juicy Lucy. I think it was butter and No Flip, whatever. But I always thought, you know, why not treat a burger just like you do a prime rib? So what I usually do with this, I'll start out with half-pound patties, 
get them on there. I run them on the stick burner this time, but I've actually done this recipe for another pellet grill company, Grilla Grills, same recipe, just on a different pit. And basically I take rosemary, chives, garlic, all the good stuff that would be on a prime rib, put it in a little dish beside those burgers, let that butter melt and baste the burgers with all that goodness the whole time they're cooking. Um, it takes them about an hour. It's a very slow cook for a burger, but the texture you get is pillowy soft. I told you earlier, it's like eating a cloud of prime beef. I mean, it's, it's delicious and you don't lose as much like it renders the fat, but it doesn't lose the fat. So when you cut it, I mean, it is, you're going to make a mess. It's going to run down to your elbows, I mean, but it's so good. Are you taking it to a traditional ground beef temperature of like 155, 160, or will you cook under that? I usually, so I discovered something in that video, and I did not mention it in the video, is I took it to, I was, my goal was about 145. I wanted it medium, you know, right there on the medium, kind of a little under medium. But so I took it to 140, and then I took my provolone cheese, and it was cold out of the refrigerator. And I put my toppings, I had onions and mushrooms, I topped the burger, and I put that cheese on it. And that cheese stopped that burger from cooking. Hmm. It stopped right then. It got to 140 and it never moved another degree for about 25 minutes. And I think that only made that burger better because, wow. I mean, it picked up more flavor. Those drippings from the onions and mushrooms, of course, absorbed in that burger. And it got to about 142. And I told my wife, I was like, there's no way, like, these got to be done. Like, I was like, we got to get them up. And when I cut it, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like, that's how I like my burger. So, the cheese actually slowed it down. So at a lower temp like that, that's something for you know people to pay attention to. If you got a meat probe in there, that cheese is going to slow that burger down when it's cold. Uh, we're talking with Mark Williams from Swine Life Barbecue and the same name on his YouTube channel, Swine Life Barbecue. Get over there if you haven't seen it and check out that No Flip Burger video. You will thank Mark and me for the suggestion and Mark for the recipe, of course. Mark, always appreciate the time you give to the show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good night. You got it. There he is. Mark Williams right there. All guests appear via the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe Pellet Grills Hotline. No Flip Burgers. That's right. We love No Flip Burgers. Juicy and, what did Mark say? Cold cheese stops from cooking. All right. So we have Adrian Miller in the green room. We'll get to him here in just one second. Big Papa Smokers is the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies. We'll get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at Big Papa Smokers has been Pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself. From the award-winning rubs and sauces to the American-made grills and smokers, Big Papa Smokers has everything you need to be a better outdoor cook. Of course, we all know that they have the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition scene and in the backyard. Also, owner of Granny's Barbecue Sauce. So if you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everybody's palate, Granny's traditional yet powerful flavor will remind us of why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. And aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, Big Papa Smokers offering the very best charcoal, pellet and wood cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out that Mac two-star general pellet cooker. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? No problem. Give them a call and ask what's right for you. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. 
It's clear that Big Pop Smokers is the place to go for all things barbecue. Every product featured on their website has been hand-selected to help you barbecue better. Check the website, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. We're back with Adrian Miller right after this. Stick around. You are listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by Oklahoma Joe's Smokers. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Thank you to Mark Williams from Swine Life Barbecue for joining us last segment. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit cookinpellets.com for more information or to purchase or to see what other products they have to add a little smoke flavor to whatever it is you're cooking. My next guest, known as the Soul Food Scholar, sits on the Names Nominating Committee for the Barbecue Hall of Fame, a multiple-time author, an NAACP Image Award nominee, James Beard Award nominee, and award winner. We race to the Oklahoma Joe's Rider DLX Pellet Grills Hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Adrian Miller. Hey, Adrian. Hey, what's going on? Good to be with you. I am very excited to have you in the house, as it were, but not your house. You are traveling, so I uh, found that out yesterday as we were doing the sound check. So appreciate you uh, still making time for the show. But what are, you, uh, what are you up to? Where are you traveling at? So I'm in eastern North Carolina, um, went to the Tidewater area to find out about long grain rice, um, especially the Carolina gold varieties and the Santee gold uh, varieties. And there's a company called Tide, Tidewater Grain Company that's reviving this. And then the only rice farmers in North Carolina. So it was cool to go out there and uh, not only find out about their operation, uh, but then also learn about the crabbing and oystering uh, things that are happening out there. So it was, real, it was good stuff, man. Was Adrian Miller on a personal quest to find out more about rice? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Really? There's, there's actually a really <laughs> interesting history about this rice. So uh, the story goes, it was a rice not from uh, Asia, but from Madagascar. And there was a boat on the way to the Caribbean, got detoured somehow, and uh, got stranded off the, course, the coast of Charleston. And uh, this rice was then introduced into the North America, I think it was uh, the course was uh, originally going to be the Caribbean. But we know that a lot of enslaved Africans were brought to the U.S. in order to build up the rice industry and make it one of the most lucrative things at that time. I mean, the wealth amassed from rice is just amazing. So this is indigenous rice in West Africa. So a lot of West Africans had um, knowledge, agricultural knowledge about growing rice and were brought uh, here as enslaved people to build these rice industries. So a lot of interesting history there. I have no knowledge on rice growing whatsoever other than what I've seen like in the Karate Kid movies. So is it like, a, what's it look like? Are there rice farms or is it, is it like wet and stuff like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So imagine an immense field and you've got rows of rice plants and it's irrigated. They use uh, they have some well water to irrigate it. I mean, it's a very impressive, impressive uh, system of pumping water out, 
uh, getting that. And they've got it down to a science. And I mean that. I mean, they use drones. They've got computers going on. There's all kinds of interesting stuff happening with these rice fields. So um, it was interesting to see. Now, we're at the beginning of the growing season. So I haven't seen har- you know, r- rice when it's about to be harvested. So would like to check that out someday. But man, just the you, you have to love what you're doing in order to get into this field. Let me just tell you. From a flavor profile standpoint, is a gold rice much different than what we would find, you know, uh, like a, a normal white table rice of some sort? Um, I thought it had a little bit of a nutty flavor. Um, it definitely had the yellowish color. Rice preparation that I had, um, we had a meal and uh, it was creamy, but I think that had to deal do more with just the way it was prepared, maybe not, not so much with the rice itself. But yeah, I thought it tasted really good. And I'm not even a rice dude. I mean, I'll, I'll have rice, but it's not something I crave, but I thought this was tasty. That seems counterintuitive to the soul food scholar that you wouldn't be a rice guy. I know. There's a lot of things counterintuitive to me. I mean, I'm a soul food scholar from Denver, Colorado. So, you know, there's that. Fair enough. Uh, Adrian Miller joining us here on the show. You can find his website, adrianemiller.com, if you want to see what he's up to and a little bit more background if you're not familiar. Uh, Adrian, Black Smoke has been nominated for a James Beard Award, something that you're used to, both uh, nominations and the awards themselves. And I assume it lends yet another level of credibility amongst readers and your peers when you get the James Beard nominations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's an honor just to get nominated. I've got some stiff competition, um, but yeah, no, just making it because there's so many books that come out and so many really great books. So to be one of those final three is awesome. So, you know, I'm practicing two things right now, practicing my acceptance speech, should I be lucky enough to win? And then my fake, oh, I'm so happy you won instead of me. Look, you know, in case I don't. You're fake. (laughs) How dare you? Well, this is a very uh, rough place for me to be in now because I know two-thirds of the nominees. So I know you, obviously, good friend of the show, and you've lent a lot of credibility and insight to the show on many different levels. But then also I'm very good friends with uh, Jeremy Umansky, who is the co-author of Koji Alchemy and that book has seen an enormous amount of success in the fermentation, the Koji stuff, Koji mm-hmm. rice, Adrian Miller with rice. So we got a little thing happening. I didn't even think we had that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who the third book is, but uh, I mean, how do I pick who I want to win? This is where I say, I hope everybody wins, but at least if it's not you, I hope it's Jeremy. If it's Jeremy uh, or you know what I'm saying? If it's, if it's, yeah. I want you to win, but if it's not you, then Jeremy. And I want Jeremy to win, yeah. but if it's not him, I want you to win. We don't want that other person to win at all. Forget that. We say that with peace and love, of course. Peace and love. We don't. Peace and love. Peace and love. Um, have you been taken aback by the success of the book? It seems to have generated a lot of conversation by a number of different folks within the industry um, with the subject matter, A, but then how much you brought to the table as far as information, background, and history. Uh, I don't want to say that people didn't care to know about it, but whether they wanted to or not, you were bringing it across in a real way. Yeah, so that's why it was immensely satisfying because, you know, when you're writing a book, you're isolated. You don't know if anybody's going to dig it, even though you do, right? And so you you just hope that you do something that um, sheds light on a history. And I, I call myself a revivalist these days because it's not that I was telling stories that were never told before. And some of them were, but most of them were stories that were told 100, 200 years ago, but we lost that history. We stopped passing that f- history forward. So I was happy to bring that together and put it in a way that I thought was accessible 
and enjoyable. And so I've been really gratified by the reaction. I mean, people in the industry who I immensely respect have reached out to me and told me how much they enjoyed the book um, and have been um, on their social media saying, y'all, y'all need to check this book out. So that's been really cool. I've had a number of authors on over the years getting one book out, certainly an effort. However, there does seem to be an inspiration or an accumulation of knowledge on a subject or two that might help that overall first book process to get written. But when you get into book two or book three and so on, does it become increasingly difficult to produce a book or because you now have certain processes down, it actually becomes easier to a degree? It becomes easier to a degree. And actually I have a very interesting situation. So I don't have many strokes of genius, but I did have one when I was writing my first book on soul food. I just grabbed everything I could on African-American food, regardless of what it was. So from that, I had a plenty of information to start my president's book, which was my second book. And then I had a bunch of stuff on barbecue. So I had a good foundation. So it was a matter of just building on that. And so it, it took me less time to research and gather that info. And now I have a system and I, I go into a book, think kind of knowing the story I want to tell, but I'm guided by the research. So if the research leads me to another, I follow that. But I have an idea of the story I want to tell. And what I do is I write an outline and I just go through the thought, the logic path and the thought process. And I'm like, OK, does this make sense? And then I follow um, some advice that uh, very well-known writer John T. Edge gave me. He said, write the book you want to read. And that's really what has guided me. Are you under a contract where you're supposed to produce X number of books within a defined period of time? Or do you just come up with a thing and say, hey, this is what's inspiring me now and I'm going to go pitch it around to publishers and see who picks it up? Yeah, it's definitely the latter. I mean, I wish I was one of those brothers with the multi-book <laughs> book deal, but I've never gotten that. Um, but University of North Carolina Press has published my books and they've been a great place for me. And they've always just said, hey, when you have an idea, just come to us and we can talk about it. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely the latter. I kind of go from place to place, um, just kind of given where my interests are. Are you working on any other books at the moment? Yeah. So right now I'm thinking about doing a history of African-American street vendors and talking about the ways that they shape the food scenes of a lot of our major cities. And I, I want to explore several things. I want to say, okay, this is what these people uh, sold. And some of it reflects their African heritage. Um, I want to talk about how they were entrepreneurs and how they demonstrated, you know, a lot of business acumen that I think gets underappreciated. Um, and then, you know, talk about what did they represent from Africa, not only in terms of the foods or ingredients they introduced, but the way they dressed, how they uh, did their street cries um, and uh, other things. So and here's the really cool thing. I have the sheet music and the lyrics for a lot of these street cries from the 19th century. So I'm hoping to get a book deal where I can put out a compendium piece of music, hire some singers because you don't want me singing. Um, hire some singers to do these street cries so we can know what it was like in like 1880s New Orleans yeah. to hear these people trying to get you to buy their stuff. All right. So we're going to be looking forward to that as it comes out and yeah. uh, we'll see how that goes. As I'd mentioned in the open, you sit on the names committee for the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Quick transition here. You've been a, a champion for diversity when it comes to the Hall of Fame ever since you've been on the names committee for four years, the hall has been using the show to announce the inductees here, which I'm uh, happy to have. How happy are you with the Barbecue Hall of Fame's progress to date? Oh, I'm immensely uh, happy because um, it's not just been me, right? So the thing that's been really cool 
is there are other people in the community who are like-minded and they're, they're, they're interested in diversity as well. So I think we've made a lot of progress. I just look back, even with just what we've done in the last three years, I think has been really cool, um, especially getting Desiree Robinson last year as the first African-American woman um, and getting people that should have been in there a long time ago, like Arthur Bryant and Ollie Gates. Um, I think that's been really cool. And then I'm really excited, and I know we're going to talk about this more, uh, with the Impact Award this year to celebrate unsung black barbecue cooks. So the Impact Award itself, uh, Emily Park had mentioned that as we were teasing out the final nine list before the actual four were nominated in the Living Hall of Fame side of things. And it was, you know, kind of billed as something that you're not in the Hall of Fame, but it's something where we feel that a group of people or some section of something is, is needed to be rewarded for uh, some portion or impact that they're making to the live fire community, though not Hall of Fame-ish. So are you allowed to say like whose idea this was, or was this like a, a, a group effort of somebody brought it up and they're like, oh yeah, let's all get on board with this? How does that come to fruition? Yeah, so I think the very first person who mentioned it to me is Jim Shaheen, uh, who used to run the Smoke Signals column in the Washington Post, yeah, and he yeah. mentioned that idea. And, and then Robert Moss separately, and then maybe he talked to Jim as well, but he mentioned it as well. And I thought, yeah, we got to do this. And so uh, I think for it was more than a year we were just trying to figure out how to do that. So we were looking at what how what other halls of fame do, and uh, I think we came up with a good process in this case. So it was definitely a collaborative effort, but not my idea uh, initially. But I was definitely on board with it because I was more focused on getting recognizing people we knew about first and getting those uh, in the pipeline. But I think this is a, a good uh, celebration of so many cooks who helped shape barbecue. We so just don't know their names. I was going to say, let's talk about the unsung black barbecue cooks. What is that? What? what are, I guess I, so I have a, I have a problem with it, but I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with, with the impact award and them getting it. But the way I first thought of it was like, wow, this appears to be really lazy. Let's say unsung black barbecue. Boom. Okay. Now guess what? We're done. We're out. Okay. We did it. Good for us. Pat on the back. It, to me, it's smacked of being a little bit lazy, but why am I wrong with that thought? Well, I don't think so because first of all, it's a very large group. Um, and we, we thought about the word smithing a bit because we could have said the unknown black barbecue cooks, right? But I wanted to mention those people who have been named, not, we didn't get their full name all the time, but we got some name and these folks were maybe recognizing their time, but again, they weren't really put into historical context throughout, throughout time. So we've just lost these names. So um, I think that we're not washing our hands of anything because we're gonna continue the work of recognizing people today. But I think it was really like, how are you ever gonna really recognize those people from the 19th century? Because other than nerds, I'm not, okay. Nerds like me, dudes like you, um, we're not going to know about these people. And so they would never get nominated. They would never make a vote because people just don't know about them. So this was a way to really honor those folks. And um, when we get to the ceremony, we're going to figure out a way to really bring life to this. But it's really like if we didn't do this, I don't know how else these people would be recognized. There's one person in particular that I want to pick your brain on, Dr. Howard Conyers uh, down in South Carolina, well-known whole hog cook uh, through generations of his family and something that he's really passionate about carrying on, but also a huge proponent and uh, attention drawer to making sure that 
uh, African Americans aren't left out of the history of barbecue. And um, I don't know, and I'm certainly not going to speak for him, but I, I certainly believe that he feels that is, th- there's been a, a big whitewashing of how important the black barbecue cook has been and the white barbecue cook taking credit or being in the forefront of how barbecue looks at this point. Uh, so much so that he has decided to start, um, it's his initiative, the Black Barbecue Hall of Fame. Uh, Kingsford is supporting him to some degree through that, uh, and they do the, the Pitmasters program uh, with him as well. Mm-hmm. So your thoughts on that? Like, Are you familiar with the Black Barbecue Hall of Fame and your thoughts on it uh, as something that's coming up being a new Hall of Fame? Yeah, so, you know, um, Howard is doing very important work um, to, to identify and celebrate these pitmasters who haven't been in the past. Um, and so I, I think it's a good thing. I think the more attention we can bring to these African-American cooks in whatever way, it's going to be a good thing. Because I agree with Howard. It's been uh, black pitmasters have either been pushed to the sidelines or just left out completely of a lot of barbecue storytelling recently. And I think it has been whitewashed because I think there's been a re-pivoting to think of um, barbecue as the thing that primarily white dudes do uh, instead of looking at the beautiful wide world of barbecue. So, yeah, no, I applaud what Howard is doing uh, and uh, in his own way. And I know he's been releasing names on social media. So I just think it's great that we're getting drawing more attention uh, to these African-American barbecue cooks. So let's talk about halls of fame here. Can there be too many halls of fame? <laughs> At some point, is there a dilution of worth or importance when there's now a influx or a uh, a veritable cornucopia of halls of fame? Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, we may have already hit that already because they're very uh, there are numerous halls of fame at the state level. So I know, like, there's one in North Carolina. I think there's one in Texas, Oklahoma, um, and there, there may, yeah, there may be other ones. So we may have reached that point, but. Um, it just seems to me that with the, especially with the American Royal Barbecue Hall of Fame, just the uh, uh, media machine behind it and stuff, I think the reach has been um, really strong. And so that's why I've chosen to put my energy in this one. Um, but hey, as long as they're, I think they have a good process and they're celebrating great barbecue cooks. Hey, I think we have a large barbecue tent. We have taken away from the rice junket enough. Adrian Miller, a James Beard nominee for the book Black Smoke. So we'll see how that works out. We wish him the best and always appreciate the time you give to the show, Adrian. Continued success, my friend. Hey, thank you for inviting me, man. Good to see you. Peace. You got it. There he is. Adrian Miller right there. All guests appear via the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe Pellet Grills Hotline. And if you haven't read the book, get the book. Read it and see why everybody was talking about it and giving it rave reviews and why the James Beard Committee has also nominated that. Along with my other pal, Jeremy Yamansky from Larder Delicatessen right here on the near west side with Koji Alchemy. Rice! Of course Adrian was thinking, I gotta know more about this rice. Love it. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love, love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for high heat grilling. What you can't get is real, true two-zone cooking on round cookers because they're round. Enter Primo Grills, the game-changing oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. 
gives you 60 different ways to configure that thing. And you have accessories, so you can spend all your money there after you spend all your money on the cooker. Primo Grill Rotisserie, Primo Grill Pizza Accessory, Primo Grill Half Drip Tray, Primo Grill Rib Rack. The list goes on. Only sold through dealers, so find one near you, primogrill.com. The bottom line is this, best ceramics in the biz, patented technology, true two-zone cooking capabilities, multiple sizes, all yes. And if you have to have a round one, they have those too. But really, consider the oval for Pete's sake. Again, primogrill.com, the website. Find a dealer near you. Check it out. Find the size that's right for you because they have many different sizes. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram while you're at it. Who's ready for a primo? I'm ready for a primo. Here we go. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. Thanks again to Adrian Miller for joining me last segment. AdrianEMiller.com, his website. The segment brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring. Or connect via Bluetooth if you have Alexa or the Google Assistant at home. You're in lock Fireboard, fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard 2 Pro for the high heat stuff. And the Fireboard Spark, which is an instant read meat thermometer and a one-channel Fireboard. How about that? Once again... Adrian Miller's website, adrianemiller.com. You can buy all of his books, now totaling three right now. The Soul Food Book, The President's Book, and now Black Smoke. And he's up for a another James Beard award. He is nominated for the book. So go ahead and give it a read if you haven't checked it out yet. Or maybe you're looking to give Father's Day gift ideas. Or if you're looking to get a Father's Day gift and you like to read about the history of barbecue, definitely ask for that. Somebody will give you exactly what you want if you ask for that. Or if you have a dad that's into barbecue or grilling, do that. Why not? I'm just fascinated that there's rice junkets. I didn't get an invite to the Rice Junket down in South Carolina to be hanging out with Adrian Miller. Can you imagine Adrian Miller and myself teaming up on this very Tuesday night, June 7th, and doing a show live from somewhere in South Carolina or North Carolina, wherever he was, where we were featuring the expert in gold rice, yellow rice? It was gold or yellow rice. I forget which one it was. Come on. That would have been the best Barbecue Central show ever on June 7th, 2022. But here we are in Bomb City, USA instead. Bomb City, USA. Cleveland. What he said. All right, we are pointing to the second hour. We have a great guest for you, as you know. Sam the Cooking Guy will tell you more about him after we get back from the break. If you would like to drop in an email or hit me up on the socials, you can do that. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com, at BBQCentralShow on all the other social media channels. And if you want a chance to play What Is Sam Like Best, 
Get over on Clubhouse now because that's where we will pick you up. Refresh libations and we'll be back in just a few short minutes. Stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> 